This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, a corporate visions company. Through our platform, True Voice, we're bringing you automated win, loss, and no decision analysis at scale so you can find and fix seller blind spots in near real time. With automated customer feedback from every opportunity, you'll uncover what buyers truly care about when purchasing, what your competitors are doing to adapt, and how the experience with your sales reps impact win rates. With this new insight, your sellers automatically receive the right science-backed sales training from Corporate Visions based on their individual strengths and weaknesses. It's time to get more from your win-loss analysis. True Voice moves you from just-in-case to just-in-time coaching and training. Visit us at www.truevoice.io and start winning more today. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me, Ryan Queller, for another edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence, a corporate visions company. In our research, we found that over 70% of sellers don't feel confident when selling against competitors. This is a scary number, considering that most B2B deals are competitive deals. Having a competitive sales enablement strategy is key to improving win rates and the ever green and gold goal of revenue. But where do you even start? How do you create a competitive sales enablement strategy that makes an impact? Exploring this with me today is Mr. Dayon Geishek, CEO and co-founder at Grow and Scale. Dayon, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Ryan, and thanks so much for uh invitation. I'm super pumped to be on the pod. Awesome. All right, my friend, before we get into this, we have a kind of a history of doing this. We, we want the, the listeners to get to know you a little bit. So before we get into our conversation, tell us about you. Tell us about your experience. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I've been in the tech industry for the last 10 years, which by these standards is ancient history. <laughs> um, started with content and growth marketing for early stage startups. Um, and then four years ago in late 2019, um, I've established a growing scale company with my uh, business partner and started as a content strategy uh, agency, but we pivoted to competitive enablement and sales enablement just because one of our clients really needed this. We liked it as well, because you just see results much quicker than with content itself. And we just decided to stay in this lane and uh, just become enablement company. That's awesome. So uh, for the listeners out there, also, if, if, you haven't, if you haven't already, click on Dayon's uh, LinkedIn profile and go check out the number of languages that he he has some experience with or might be elementary prof proficient in. Dude, you've traveled. So out of all the different places you've traveled, uh, you know, what might be maybe the most interesting or the, one of the places that you love to go the most? I mean, you're, you're a very well-traveled human. So what, where do, where's your favorite place? Yeah, well, funny enough that my favorite place is Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm originally from Slovenia. That's that what... That you probably hear from my accent, um, but I've been yeah I've been traveled. I lived in uh, 
Portugal for a year. I've been in Middle East. Uh, I stayed in Spain, um, Taiwan, all those places. And I'm just very curious by nature, which translates really well into what I do. Um, but Pacific Northwest was just the best overlap of insane visuals and nature. I'm a huge freak. I'm a huge nerd about music. So Seattle was my place to be. And it's just an economic opportunity and diversity of culture. It, is, um, it just feeds my curiosity. And uh, yeah, I would say Pacific Northwest. That's awesome. You know, the Pacific Northwest is is kind of rad. And I have family and friends up there and we get up there very, very often. So, well, it's great to meet you, man. Welcome to the show. Let's get into our conversation. So let, let's start here. Let's start at the, at the beginning, shall we? <laughs> so where should you begin developing a sales enablement strategy? I mean, wh where do you start? Yeah, that's great. Uh, it should start with just talking to your salespeople. Um, <laughs> Imagine yeah. a world where you're actually talking with, with other people, right? Yeah, wild, shocker. Yeah. Um, but they know exactly uh, where they start sweating on those sales calls. Um, and the next thing, just your, from your internal data, you just look at your CRM. Um, you can look, hey, where are you losing deals? Um, but the best way I'd start is just ask your sales manager or determine what are the top four or five main objections that you're getting on the calls. And um, this is where you start. Um, I'm coming from the content marketing perspective. I did tons of articles, top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, case studies, all that jazz. But if you're losing sales, then the whole company suffers. So ask yeah. yourselves and just prioritize those kind of pieces um, immediately. So I love that, uh, right? It, it's getting... Um getting to the person that is closest to the work or the issue is a key thing here. So going straight to the salesperson, the sales manager, are there key things that you're listening for uh, when you're, when you're talking with them? What are, what are you listening for when you're starting to explore with these frontline folks, what issues they might be facing? Um, it's good to meet face-to-face uh, -face if possible, or even video call like this one. Mm -hmm. And they will tell you one thing, but you should just like watch their facial expressions, where they start sweating, where they start being a little bit uncomfortable. Um, usually you will always have at least two main objections, the pricing and maybe the timing is not right. You're always building content around those main ones, but just figure out, hey, where have you heard anything that pops up where you lose sales? Are is there? Are they asking you about integrations? Are they asking you about security? Are they asking you for um, I don't know, sure, your customer service? So whatever pops up the most, and they're not confident of um, answering, then just tag it down and make sure that you come back to those. Yeah, so love that. Uh, do you have a, a standard set of questions that that you ask, or is it kind of random and just kind of in the moment? What's that look like? What does that conversation look like? Yeah, so with the agency part, we do tend to just send survey, and survey is great because it's coming from a third party, so you won't get biased answers. Um, but if I have an opportunity, yeah, I do have a set of five, six questions. 
Um, and I would like to spend maybe like 20, 30 minutes with each sales rep just to figure out uh, what's going wrong and uh, identify the pattern or identify the main root cause of uh, objections or the problems with the sale. Love that. Okay, so that's helpful to understand. So um, where does, or where should you be conducting this research? So you've talked about talking with talking with salespeople and, and sales managers. Where else should you be conducting research outside of talking with the, the people? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, best way, I love being scrappy to start with. Um, it's always been our MO, just with the beginning where there was no budget. So there are definitely treasure coves of information outside your website. Um, my favorite one is Reddit. Reddit is uh, kind of like a public forum with un tons of unbiased opinions. Um, I like to set up Google alerts. There's specific alerts that you can set up uh, for Reddit and social media listening. Um, peer reviews are great. G2, Captera, Trustpilot. Um, any source that you can take, um, but in the end, you have to be mindful and make sure to dedicate a specific trust points to those sources. For example, G2 and Camtera, great, but all those four five-star reviews are usually uh, fostered by their companies, right? Hey, and because that's what I did. If somebody gave me an NPS score of 10, hey, can you write us a review? Because you already love us. So that's why all those little nooks and crannies of the internet, uh, Reddit, or if your competitor has some sort of um, um, forum or help section, you will know exactly what kind of issues they have with the competitor. And you can play on your strength this way. Yeah, so I love this, and and I love what you're saying. I've heard you use the word unbiased a couple times, and um, I, I love this idea. Uh, we do competitive win loss analysis, right? So that that's our space, that's our jam at at uh, Primary Intelligence, True Voice, and Corporate Visions. So th that's what we do here. Um, so I'm curious, from your perspective, how does win loss analysis and in, in direct voice of the customer? How does that play into you know the research and finding out where the the broke down places are? Yeah, this is a super important and great question. Um, I think Steve Jobs said that you have to connect the dots to see what the clear picture is, and we usually are very very busy with our own companies, and then we just keep on oh let's just rack more leads. We just need to have more sales calls, and we never stop and look back. So with win-loss analysis, you have opportunity to just look back and see what's wrong. And it's important, some companies are doing this really well. They do hire external uh, contractors or uh, experts in this field, just because they can come in and um, interview your team that doesn't have a bias at that point. I like to compare, this is a little bit funny comparison, but. You don't ask your mom to evaluate your dating profile on, on Tinder or Hinge, right? She's going to say, I, well, oh, I certainly my, wouldn't. My boy no, is amazing. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, have to, you have to find the brutal honesty. If you can achieve the brutal honesty with your organization, that's great. 
But in most cases, they'll just say, oh no, we're great. Everything looks amazing. Um, I don't have any issues, but the sales performance in the end of the quarter doesn't uh, reflect that. Love that. Okay. So let's talk about prioritization. So we started with this research, you know, we're going out there, we're talking with our salespeople, our sales managers, we're looking at win-loss and competitive intelligence and other nooks and crannies on the online. Uh, you mentioned G2 and in several other places, we're doing this research out there to see what's what, you know, how do you prioritize when, when you're trying to create this competitive and sale, sales enablement strategy, how do you prioritize uh, the creation of the strategy? Uh, yeah. Um, I would always put as a priority something that can help us right now get to the easiest big win as fast as possible. Um, usually this means just, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. So one of our clients was an online bootcamp provider, which is a very expensive course cost $15,000 to get in. So the pricing was an issue. Um, and we know that we, we're not going to lower the price. We need to get that revenue in. Um, so my approach was we need to do two things. First, we need to tackle the objection of pricing direct on. And secondly, we need to raise the perceived value of the course. So how does this look from sales enabling perspective? I attack the first main objections, the price, uh, in-house, we started gathering all grants and funds that we can help with um, potential students. So that was in-house production, wasn't shared uh, publicly. But from the outside, I had to come up with content strategy that brings the value. And that was, hey, I know this is expensive, but cohort type courses have uh, doesn't have as high attrition rate as on-demand ones you have community at your disposal you have mentorship at your disposal and that helped really well and we start closing much more leads and students this way um, just with this approach so that was the direct kind of like attack it's an enablement part that helped the company in a long way okay so there's some some barriers to entrance and knowledge gaps what about com competitive intel or competitors in general? Um, you know, how do you go about addressing ad addressing competition in, in similar circumstances? If you have an example, or you know, what what do you think? Oh uh, yeah, amazing! You need to know what's out there. Um, I think having an ego and just kind of like have a blinders on and talking that you don't have competition, it's. Um, it's not a great way of moving forward because you just get blindsided. We all know uh, examples from the past. Uh, let's say Blockbuster had huge whole market pie uh, with uh, video on demand. And then this little company, Netflix, comes along with his their new technology. And today, if we look at it, there's no more Blockbuster. And it's Netflix. And Netflix has tons of competitors too. So you need to know exactly or as much as possible what your competitors are doing for two main reasons. First, you need to know what to say uh, to your prospects. You need to be aware of uh, your competitors because of two main things. First, you need to be selling more or closing more accounts. Uh, and by knowing what features and benefits or weaknesses and strengths your competitors have, uh, 
you're going to be able to conduct your message and position yourself as a winning deal when you have a prospect on the line. That's one straight thing because confidence plays major thing in uh, sales calls. And secondly, you need to be doing uh, strategic decisions based on how market and competitors are moving. So let's say if Blockbuster knew that something is going on in the tax section of this little company called Netflix, they'll, they'll have enough information not to react, but just build a moat around it or build their own proprietary technology, and they might still be in the game, um, but they didn't. They probably didn't have this some sort of intel or they were too egoistic, I'm not sure. Um, the fact is there's no more blockbuster. Love that. Okay. So that, that's a fair, that's a fair and solid answer. So in terms of prioritization, so let, let, let's, let's do a little bit of a chicken and the egg kind of moment here. Where should we focus our efforts? Should it be acquisition or retention? And, and I know that this is like a hard question. It's a terrible question, placing them at, in opposition to each other, but you know, what are your thoughts, acquisition or retention? Yeah, the cop-out answer would be both, but I'm not going to do it dirty like that. So I'm just going to say retention should be the focus. Okay. Tell, okay, let's go. I like this. Let's go. Yeah, tell me more. <laughs> uh, well, just imagine, because acquisition is a huge effort in energy and resources. Uh, but if you're losing deals, like it doesn't matter. Like if you're getting 100 new customers and if 80% are going to leave you, then why should you even be doing this? You have to figure out um, what's wrong. Whereas you have a leaky bucket in your either customer experience or in your product and you have to fill those holes. So once you have that sorted out and you have a good understanding and confidence that your customers are happy with you, then you can start focusing on getting new clients in. Okay, so I agree. In fact, I've heard a statistic out there that as much as 80 to 85% of a company's revenue comes from existing customers, from retention, right? So it's not the the the... the the table stakes, the thing that keeps the lights on are our existing customers. So hundred uh, percent aligned, but let me ask you this. Let me layer in this next, this next thing, which area do you find competitive sales enablement is most needed? Is it in the retention side or in acquisition or both do me dirty? If you need to do me dirty, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do think it's both in this case. Um, um, especially with competitive enablement, you are focusing on the acquiring part. You are making sales right there. Um, but because you did all this huge research with product teardowns, feature comparisons, you also have enough information to know um, where those holes in your product, uh, in, the, in, the, in the product are. So um, it is equally, but sales enablement is, I mean, competitor enablement does allow you to be more proficient at closing deals on, a, on the acquisition part. Okay. So we might be, uh, it might be more important for retention might be slightly edge out acquisition because uh, when you retain, you could also potentially grow your existing customer base. 
but the competitive sales enablement, what I'm hearing you say is focused really on closing new deals, acquisition. Am I, am I following? Oh uh, yeah. Especially at the start. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, and it's much easier to do cross sales, up sales with an existing customer, right? Um, they already trust you. Um, but you also have to keep getting new customers in. So, you know, what's crazy. Um, and, and we'll go into the next question here in a second, but the cross-selling, we have, uh, well, we're, we're exiting, we're entering into kind of a new kind of macroeconomic you know, reality here, but it used to be in the, in the not too distant past and, and still kind of is where an organization would close a new customer. And while they're in implementation, we have some customers that, that we do win-loss analysis for that were already engaging in upselling before they've implemented, before they've helped produce the result, the business result that they were bought for in the first place. And um, that push of buy more, buy more, buy more without having proven anything proved to be actually a downfall of, of several of our customers, you know, research that we've done uh, where it's like, look, your overly aggressive sales tactics before you've helped us achieve the result that you were, that we bought you for is getting in the way of our ability to not only produce the result, but also potentially grow our account with you. So I'm, I'm curious from a, a competitive sales enablement space, you know, what, how would you speak, or if you were giving advice to any listeners out there around sales enablement in this competitive space, after we've acquired and before in that implementation and onboarding phase, before they've achieved any kind of business result, what advice would you give to the sales team in how to handle that kind of no man land space? Hmm. Yeah, this is uh, usually an issue because uh, from the top approach um, managers, seniors, directors, they want to have as much revenue as possible at the start, mm -hmm. but it doesn't go this way. You have to establish trust. You have to get respect from both ends. And even though AI is slowly lurking into our world, um, there's still a human element. And there's a lot of hundreds, thousands of new tools. If you look at the MarTech report from last year to this year, there's 2,000 new uh, MarTech tools. And your LMS is very similar to other 50 LMSs. Maybe there's a little bit of new features here and there. Your CRM is, most, is very similar to others, but we still like to do business with people. And where we feel that we are cared and respected the most, this is where we're probably going to go to. Okay. So you brought it up. So we're going to go there. Let's talk about AI a little bit. Um, and, and you just mentioned something that was, I agree with 100%, but it's, we're in a sticky, we're in a sticky wicket situation. This is a difficult place for everybody. This is a global issue. Okay. This isn't relegated to B2B sales. This isn't relegated to any particular person. It is everyone. And that is AI. You, you also just said that people buy from people, which I agree as well. The time that a salesperson has to connect with those people, to build that trust that you've talked about, has shrunk and been compressed sub substantially, right? Down to very like 10% of the buying cycle now is with us. You have a salesperson, you have a buyer, you get about 10% of their, their, their time. It used to be 50, 60, 70, 80% of the time you could connect face-to-face -face with them. That time has shrunk. 
On top of that, we have the pressures of AI also coming in, into play. You know, pontificate with me a little bit. You know, let, let, let's, let's let our imagination run wild. And I'd love to hear your thinking. How does, AI, how does AI fold into competitive sales enablement, planning, and execution? How does it play? Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. It's a big question. Yeah. In a way, I, I'm sure you see this with a lot of new companies. They feel they have this FOMA effect, like AI is everywhere. We need to totally. put it into our product. Totally. Um, I think it's very beneficial. It's beneficial for my personal work. Uh, it helps me a lot. Um, so if you are integrating it, there needs to be a clear benefit and value. So you have to teach your salespeople, okay, we've got AI. What's the value of it? Uh, is this important to your customer? How, in what way? So you're not just plugging it in just because it's AI and AI is the biggest buzzword right now. It still needs to solve a problem. But the other thing, I'm not sure if we're going on a tangent, AI is a tool you're still with those big ticket items of selling an account for 50, 100, 200K, you still are talking to another human being. And with competitive enablement, you're making your salespeople better by giving them enough intel and insights and talking tracks and helping them. But in the end, salesperson knows exactly how to talk to a person. And they know a little knots facial expressions, tones of voice, feeling the pain points on, on the other side. And I'm not sure if AI is ready to read this. I'm sure maybe it will, maybe next week. Maybe, uh, who knows, it's accelerating <laughs> so quick, right? Yeah, but those are like little nuances that you can't really measure yet, at least I'm not aware of it. And that's why you still need to sell person to person because Okay. I think we're aligned. Uh, There's, it sounds like you're saying AI can be a tool for, but not a replacement of sales enablement and salespeople. Um, So let's go there. Let's go there then. So we've talked about where, where should we research? How should we find, you know, the, the gaps, how do we prioritize the the competitive sales enablement that you're creating? Um, Where should you focus your efforts, acquisition or retention? We unpack that a little bit. Let's get a little bit to the sharing of and the execution of. How do you share this competitive enablement with sales? How do you start to execute on this? Right. I'm going to start with a word that starts with an R, and it's respect. And what I mean about respect is you are a very hardworking person in competitive enablement, sales enablement space. You gather tons of data and you can write essays about it. You can copy paste tables, future comparisons, loads of data statistics, but how to share it, you need to respect your teammates and your teammates are overburdened. Mm. So you have to share your insights uh, in a easy, friendly format. So as little as possible, I like to call it uh, MVP or minimum effective dose um, of insights that they can use and they, it will help close their deals. Salespeople know exactly how to sell. You're not better than them. 
you're just uh, you're just equipping them with good tools so they're even better at their job. Love that. So as when you said minimum effective dose, I didn't know if you were talking about sales enablement or something else. You know, <laughs> you know, you talked about Pacific Northwest. That could be a whole other issue. But uh, I, I love this, and you use the R word, which is respect. In fact, you and I were talking a little bit about a shared interest of, of both of ours, the movie Chef. And in fact, you wrote a post on your LinkedIn, and you, you posted something on LinkedIn about this movie. Yeah, unpack that for me. Share share with our listeners your thinking around that. Right, yeah, no, Chef from, I think, 2004, somewhere like that. It's an old movie by now. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies just because it has so much, uh, so many life lessons apart from being a pickup movie. So whenever you feel sad, um, watch Chef. It's great. Great music, good story, father-son moments. But there's this particular scene where the chef, uh, played by John Favreau, teaches his son uh, about serving good food. And uh, there's a scene where the factory workers, they help equip this food truck uh, with heavy equipment. And in return, the trio, their chef, his colleague, and his son are serving um, Cubanos, Cuban sandwiches. Best sandwich on earth, by the way. I'll I'll have to try it. I don't think I had, but I, I yeah. Um, so the sandwiches are free, and the sun there's one sandwich that gets burnt on the hot plate, and his son says, "Well, can you still serve it?" And chef pulls him apart. He has a little talk and he's saying, "Hey, this is. I'm not good at a lot of things. I'm not a good father." But I care about this, and I love it. So, and I think you'll love it too if you try it. And he asks him, like, should we serve this sandwich? And the kid says, no, we shouldn't. And it's just this um, intrinsic thing that you should care every everything you do with respect, with your even as a salesperson, you're not selling a product, you're connecting, you're solving a problem. And it's your right to help that person. It's not, it's not actually the goal to sell. The goal is to get rid of that pain from the customer. And that's that's the thing. And if I just connected that little story with uh, sales enablement part. <laughs> No, I, th I thought it was rad. I thought it was such a good post. And, and again, I hope everybody listening goes and reads that post. It was so good. Um, oh, okay, so we, we're not talking about execution, starting with respecting, because we're talking about people. And, and it is. They're, salespeople are overloaded, and we don't sell better than them. We are trying to help them. And it's. I loved what you said. It's our right, and we need to be good at it. And, and it starts with respect. Love that. Okay, so... How do we know? How can we tell or how do we know if the sales enablement strategy that we're starting to roll out is effective? How do we know if it's working or not? Oh, uh, great way. Uh, yes, great question. Um, you have to come up with a couple of metrics at start. Um, so for example, with uh, growing scale, before we come in, we send out a survey and we measure sales confidence. And because we're unbiased, we usually get unbiased uh, uh, responses. Uh, 
And uh, this is kind of like we establish a baseline this way. Then we do our little magic, competitive enablement, assets here, battle cards there, uh, insights there, conferences, notes, everything called the magic. And by the end of the quarter, we measure it again. And we'll see, is the confidence up or down? Um, have all the assets been used? Um, is win-loss ratio improved? And the funny thing is, once the confidence improves, the sales goes up. It's parallel, it goes hand in hand. And it's a great way to start uh, when you don't have clear metrics. The confidence part is something that you can start with. Oh, I love that. Okay, so if, um, if, if we had, let, let's start, let, let's talk about starting here. Let me back up. So that's excellent. If we were going to start anywhere, what advice would you give to our listeners? Are right, that single piece of advice to our listeners on, on, on where to begin or how to start this journey of creating this competitive sales enablement process? Where should they start? Uh, I would go to your sales people, sales managers, sit down and just have this heart to heart talk and just, hey, lay it on me. What's, what's been bugging you? Uh, where do you see this not moving forward? That's one thing. Then take a one good hard look into your internal CRM uh, and confirm those um, pains and tribulations of the salespeople. And uh, start there. You have targets, and now it's for you to figure out how to start um, producing something that will help them. I, I kind of like to think of competitive or sales neighbor as an armorer in the medieval times. So soldiers are going to do battle, what are you going to give them? An armor, a sword, a battle axe, a helmet, but you can't give them too much. Don't overburden them because they won't be able to move. Give them the exactly what they need so they can accomplish the mission. And um, yeah, that's where I would start. So good. I, I've heard um, one salesperson that I was speaking with one time described their lack of sales enablement, like trying to fight dragons with spoons. And it's, it's like an impossible task. It's the John Wick asks. It's, it's like never going to happen an impossible task. Right. Uh, and unlike in the movie, John Wick, where he figures out a way to pull it off uh, in, in when you're fighting a dragon with a spoon, ain't going to win. Exactly. Yeah. It's a huge deal. And I am, kind of sad in a way where companies have large turnover in their sales department, but you're expecting to crush down a wall with uh, pitchforks. Hey, you need to equip them with something better. Love it. Dayon, thank you. Um, thank you for being on the show today. It's been so good uh, meeting you and having you on the show. And, and thank you for sharing your, your thoughtful approach to our questions. Appreciate it. Awesome. Um, I do have uh, one little resource for your listeners. Please. Um, um, I have a questionnaire where you can test out how sturdy, how efficient your competitive enablement program is. Even if you don't have it, it's a really neat uh, kind of check-in. Um, and it's at grow and scale forward slash primary. Um, solve this out, it would uncover a couple of quick wins. And you can, that's, that's also 
where you can start. Great. We'll include that link in our in our show notes. So thank you for that that additional resource. Awesome. And thanks again for inviting me. This, this has been fun. And listeners, for more from Grow and Scale and from us here at Primary Intelligence, a corporate visions company, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.